All right, fellas, before we jump in today, I want to let you know that today's conversation is a re-airing of a convo that I had with the one and only Dr. John Deloney. It has been a while since he and I caught up, but this conversation meant a lot to me. I learned a ton in this conversation with John. John's one of those guys that I turn to, look to all the time in my own life still today. He shares outstanding content on social media. I absolutely, I can't recommend following him enough. But I am re-airing this conversation this week uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, John's a stud. Like I said, I, I learned a ton from him. One of the biggest takeaways I had was the significance and the importance for men to have friends and the danger of how, really how dangerous loneliness is. I was struck by this and it's something that I have not forgotten. I think about this constantly. Number two, we're doing a, a light refreshment of the brand here at dad the man we've been rolling for about a year and a half now and not a lot has changed as far as format of the show um, our branding and theme music and all that kind of stuff and and the goal here is you know you guys are giving us your time your most valuable resource i want to give you the best product that i possibly can it's going to be the most polished and entertaining and and helpful and re-airing a couple conversations here over the last few weeks is giving me the opportunity to prioritize this, to focus on this. And then number three, I'll just be completely honest with you. My life has been crazier than it has ever been. Capacity is thinner than it's ever been. And while we're rolling out three episodes per week, whew, man, it's just been nuts. I have worked through some some burnout and uh, man, it's just, it's one of those things that I think we all go through in different seasons. Doing this podcast gives me life. It is a real bright spot in my life and something that I enjoy so much. I enjoy spending my time doing this so much, but at the same time, my capacity has been very thin and I really want to prioritize a couple other things for the show. And then also my family has needed some, ad some additional time for me and, uh, I just want you guys to know that I, I, I love doing this show so much and we've got some big things coming the next couple of weeks. We've got some conversations that I'm so excited to share. But in the meantime, I, I know that you will benefit greatly from listening to this conversation with the one and only Dr. John Deloney. But before I roll the tape here, if you guys are enjoying the show, if you want to support what we are doing here at Dad the Man, the best way to support us is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating, and leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. There's no better way to help, I'm telling you. You could tell a friend, too. If you wanted to go above and beyond, get the bonus points, tell somebody about the show. But, man, these are the these are the best ways to support us. They're free. It takes less than a minute to do all three of them. So if you haven't done it, please do it. If you already have, thank you so much. And regardless, thank you for being here, showing up, listening to the show with the intention of being a better man, better husband, better father today. All right, guys, let's get to it. Let's roll the tape. Dad the man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. 
So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today, as always, I do have an ask for you. If you are enjoying the show, if you have any takeaways, or if you're learning anything at all, then please do me a huge favor and help me to share the show. Whether that means texting a friend or mentioning it to someone at work or even sharing us on social media, I cannot thank you enough for your support. So today's guest is none other than Dr. John Deloney. So John is a mental health expert with two PhDs in counselor education and supervision and higher education administration. So before joining Ramsey Solutions in 2020, John worked as a senior leader, professor, and researcher at multiple universities, and he spent two decades in crisis response, walking with people through severe, severe trauma. And now as a Ramsey personality, he teaches on relationships, mental health, and wellness as the host of his caller-driven radio show titled The Dr. John Deloney Show. So John is the author of Redefining Anxiety, which I highly recommend as a quick and impactful read for anyone who has ever experienced anxiety or is currently dealing with it. It's worth your time. Today's also a big day for John because it's the official release day for his second book titled Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Now in our conversation today, I accidentally misread the title of his book, which is pretty embarrassing, but thankfully John was super cool about it. We went right past it. Um, But I definitely want to suggest everyone check out this book. By the time this is airing, by the time you're hearing this now, I will definitely have already snagged my copy. If you're not familiar with John's work, I hope that you will check it out. And I know that you'll be a big fan after you do. John is one of those guys that I lean on regularly in my own life. He just gets it. He's, uh, He's really one of the good guys. But above it all, he's an incredible man, husband, and father, and it was an honor to host him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Dr. John Deloney. And we are live with the host of the Dr. John Deloney show, the man himself, Dr. John Deloney. John, I want to take a quick second here uh, right before we get started. I just want to thank you for making some time for us today. I know you're a busy dude. As At the time of this recording, tomorrow's a big day. It's the release of uh, your new book. And I just want to say, as we jump in, you know, for anybody who may not know you, who may not follow you, who may not be familiar with your work yet, I just want to raise my hand and say how big of a fan I am of yours. It seems like the older I get, the less people whose, you know, their wisdom, their counsel, their insight, I, I'm getting pickier and pickier about the people that I really listen to and let affect my thoughts. You know, you have become one of those people for me. I love following you and I learn a lot from you. Obviously, you're credentialed out the wazoo, but then you're also deeply rooted and married to these principles and values that you've got. And I love your perspectives as a husband and father, which I know we'll talk about today. But man, I just want to thank you so much for you know doing what you do. Huge fan of who you are as a person, huge fan of your contribution to the world and what you do in your work. And I'm super proud to have the opportunity to have you on today. So with all that being said, Dr. John Deloney, welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. What's up, man? Dude, thank you. That, that's the, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's fewer, fewer things that I think um, are more honorable than for somebody to say, hey, like, I, I, I'll listen to you because um, time is precious. And so thank you, man. That, that means a lot. Well, absolutely. Well, man, I'm glad to have you on. So let's let's start things off by going back in time a little bit. Let's start with your childhood. If you kind of walk us through, give us the whole nine yards, where you grew up, who you were as a kid, siblings, parents, family dynamic, all that kind of good stuff. And we'll go from there. 
Yeah, so I grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, my dad was a homicide detective. And so early, like three weeks, I think, maybe three months, something like that, um, He, we, we were living downtown. And then he moved to about 35 minutes outside of downtown. And at the time, it was in the middle of nowhere. It was in the woods. There was two or three streets in that community. And it was when you could just open up a phone book and find out where somebody lived, and then you would go to their house. And he was always concerned that somebody would get out of jail that he'd put away and then come to the house. And so he moved his way out of town. And then shortly thereafter, the oil chemical boom hits Houston. And so all around us, we're surrounded by bajillionaires who bought these massive homes. And, and so we, I mean, I think we were making 20,000 bucks a year. That's what my dad's salary was as a police officer. Something, something just a pittance surrounded by ultra, ultra wealth. And um, it was an incredible childhood I had. Um, and at the same time, uh, I've got an older sister, by the way, savant, brilliant at another. She was on the academic decathlon team. I have a little brother. And I think he missed one or two questions on the SAT, like, like one or two seriously wow. and um and then there was me in the middle and i played football and ran track and i was kind of the knucklehead idiot i was like trying to be in a punk rock band and all i was like a metalhead and so um but my mom she was not allowed to go to college it's part of the family she grew up in uh women had no business they had a, one role and that was to be at home and she didn't need to go to college and so uh when they got my mom and dad got married in the 70s uh I mean, it was like, man, if you went to college, you get a job. And she's like, no, I'm just not supposed to do that. And so her first college class was at age 42. And she took one community college class. And I think I was a freshman in high school, maybe a sophomore. And we took like geometry or algebra together or something. And she smoked me, dude. She like an old cigar, <laughs> man. She's, she was pretty sharp. But she took one class. And the next semester, she took one more class. And the next semester, she took one more class. And then at age 57, she graduates with her PhD. And then for the last 15 years, she's been a professor. She just resigned as the English department chair this year at a fancy university where she's been a professor. So she's had this wild second half of her life. Mm -hmm. And so the two meta messages that I received growing up is number one, oh, halfway through my childhood, by the way, my dad quits being a hostage negotiator. He was on the SWAT team too. And, um, he quit being that, and he started being a, a youth pastor at a large church there in Houston. He always he always was volunteering with the youth in the middle of the night, helping them get out of jail, stuff like that. And so he just quit. And the story at the time was, man, he just got tired of seeing dead bodies, and mm -hmm. um, that job weighs on you. And so he just jumped into this. And so I had a cop and a minister as a dad, and then I had a stay-at-home mom, and then a research mythologist as a mom. And so the two major lessons I, I walked away from my childhood was, number one, if something's on fire, if there is a shooting, if some, you go towards the problem, you go into it and be a part of the solution. And number two, there is no such thing as I can't, there is no such thing as we're too old, or I've already got this degree in this thing. So this is just what my, like, make it different, like go do something different and start right now. And that lesson has applied to my parenting, to me, to my marriage, to my wife, to it's applied to every part of my life, even to this career change that I made a couple of years ago to start writing books and, and join the radio team instead of being a Dean of students at a university. So um, always do the next right, fun, wild, adventurous thing and keep doing it. So that's, love, that's my, that's my childhood in, 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 in a nutshell. There's a lot of good stuff in there. One, I, I 
there's no way you got away with anything as a as a kid. Oh, here's the problem. Here's the thing. I did. And I was a world-class liar, dude. I lied all the time about everything. I was an insecure kid. And um, I also was, I, I would just steal things. I would just take things. And as though, not so much in a nefarious way, but just so much like the rules didn't seem to apply. And they for sure did when I got <laughs> caught. But um, yeah, I was just a young punk kid screaming for attention and um, struggling with who I was and what I wanted to be. And I was like a little youth group Jesus kid, but I was also playing in punk rock, heavy metal bands and clubs downtown Houston. And um, my sister was brilliant. My little brother was brilliant. My grades were fine. So I was just trying to find my place. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that was, that was tough. I had some really extraordinary friends growing up that are still friends of mine today and um, have some great friends that I don't, I'm not in contact with anymore. So it was, it was a great childhood, but man, I also would do some things differently if I could go back and do things over again. So how did you get on the path going into counseling and, and the, the, you know, I guess that trajectory in your, in your career, getting into academia, what led you into that? Uh, well, I, I was a high school teacher for a couple of years and then I was speaking all over the place and I, it was a K-12, a K, K, uh, K through fifth grade teacher for one year, which was a blast. Um, and Ultimately, my wife and I moved to a community back to where we went to college, and I ended up getting hired at my alma mater, just working with young people. And that was the shape shift for me. That was the first time I saw like this could be a career uh, that's got some trajectory on it. And so I, I ran to grad school as fast as I could and just went down that road. Early on, um, or in the early 2000s is when I started doing this in 2004, 2005. And that's when I realized real quick, I was unprepared. I didn't know what to say sitting with someone who'd just been sexually assaulted. I didn't know what to say to a parent to tell them, hey, this just happened to your daughter. Or I didn't know how to tell somebody, hey, you have drugs in your residence hall. You can't be in college here anymore. And then also mm -hmm. call their mom and dad. And be able so I didn't have the tools and the skills and you, I faked it long enough. But ultimately, I circled back and had my own experience with just being buried by anxiety. I didn't know what, I didn't know what a mental health issue was. That was my job to take care of other people. And uh, once I realized I was not above the fray and the rules did apply to me, that was a humbling season for me. And I ended up uh, going back to school again. It was, I was privileged that I worked at a university that, you know, I could go back and get some, some graduate school classes for free. And I went back this time, not chasing a credential. But I was I was desperate to like what happened to me? What's happening to my head? What's happening to my marriage? What's happening to my friends? What's happening to our country? And that became the rabbit hole I went down. This idea of mental health, and I think we we've got it wrong in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, and so just trying, that's been the last ten years of my life trying to figure out how I can best sit by people when they're hurting and uh, help them make the next right decision. So what was the um, what was the alarm that went off in your own head? Sounds like. You know, you were you were saying that you had you realized that you were not above the fray when it comes to anxiety. And I know your your new book talks about trauma a lot and stuff like that. Yeah. What what were the alarms that went off in your head that said something's up here? I I need to do something different. I I just was following the roadmap I've been given, and I got shot out of the cannon ahead of a lot of folks. So I had a great head start, and I just went and got the next great job and. I was making good money. And then I thought, well, the next thing is to get the next biggest title. And then the title after that and the title after that. And I should probably work at a fancier university and I shouldn't be a this, I should be a that. And 
sure I can take that job and I'll do that job too. And um, at the time I just, my body said, dude, I'm out. I had just been accepted to a program at Harvard while I was also a, um, was a full-time associate Dean of students. I was also a full-time graduate school professor and I was uh, the president of the university had bought out half of my time for my division to work on a, like a behind the scenes project, looking at the future of higher ed. And that was three jobs. Plus I was about to go take on another thing. Plus I had a two-year-old plus I was married and I was trafficking in other people's challenges. And so I was spending three or four nights a week at a hospital, um, sitting with kids who were hurting or who had drank too much or who were suicidal or, and my body just said, dude, I'm out. We are out. And that was the first time I realized maybe the path that I was given, which is go to college, get the job, have the kid, get married, buy the house that you can't really afford, buy a car that you can't afford. Um, student loans doesn't matter. That's just part of the process. That I, I was the first time I started to question, wait, is this even the right track? Who, made, who told me this is the right thing to do? And I came to realize that, that nobody had told me that and everybody had told me that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was pulling the threads on that, like, man, what? I don't have a life that I love. What am I doing? I only get one shot at this. And yeah, that title's cool, but my buddy's a mechanic and we make the same money. What am I doing? Right. And so it was just mm-hmm. kind of untethering this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you make the pivot and then, so is this, the, is this around the time when you started looking at trying to like, how did you get in, in contact with Dave Ramsey? How'd you land where you are now? Is this part of that oh, process yeah. or is this prior? No, that was several years later. So okay. I ended up, um, I don't, I talk about this a little bit, but not a lot. I ended up taking a $70,000 household income pay cut, my wife and I, wow. um, to leave that university where I was, where I was in charge of a whole bunch of stuff. And I became the dean of students at a law school. And there was three of us in the country that were not lawyers that held this job. And I'm not an attorney, but I was just trained in taking care of people who are hurting. And legal professionals are one of the groups that just, the, the nature of that job and the nature of the training for that job is so brutal. Um, and so I, but I needed to do that to be well. And so I went from managing thousands of people to several hundred people and allowed me some space to get well on that same journey. And so that's when I started working with the police department in the middle of the night, doing death notifications and things. I know that sounds like a crazy way to get well, but um, it was one of the most um, incredible experiences in my life. Those few years um, sitting with people in the worst of the worst of the worst situations you could possibly imagine. Um, and then I ended up with a second PhD in counseling, um, just by virtue of nickel and diamond my way through it. And while I was mm-hmm. working at the university in the law school, and then I took a job at Belmont university here in Nashville as their chief student affairs, it was a dream job at a, an extraordinary university. And I was given a speech to parents and students, about a thousand parents and students. And the executive vice president of Dave Ramsey was sitting in the audience and she was dropping her daughter off. And she just said, I'm going to hire that guy. I don't know <laughs> what he's going to do here. He didn't talk about money, but I'm gonna hire that guy. And um, the rest is history then. So I, I had a life where I tried to avoid being on the internet at all costs. No <laughs> interviews, no nothing. And now I, as my son tells me, dad, you're just a YouTuber. <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> is what it is. Oh, that's so cool though. That's such a cool story. And then, you know, the, the piece about your parents just giving you that permission through their own example to change their mind later in life to not, you know, or to not get stuck on like, hey, we're on this track. So this is, this track's going to lead all the way to the end of my life, but saying I'm on this track, but I kind of want to go see what's going on over there. And you, you were able to see that modeled for you, then you were able to go do that. And I think that's such a powerful, powerful thing. And now your kids will, 
they'll see that modeled by your behavior now because you've now done the same thing. That's Just exactly to right, yeah. giving them permission to change their mind, I think is such a, that's such an amazing gift to give your kids. It's incredible. Yeah, it's having that, there's no such thing as a dream job or a forever house or mm -hmm. the one when it comes to the person you decide to marry. There's just a bunch of choices that you make. And every single day I have to wake up and decide I'm going to love my wife, even when I'm frustrated, even when she snored, even when I, whatever, I didn't sleep well. I, I have to make that choice every day. And after 50 years, I'm going to look back and say she was the one, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen in reverse. And same with being a parent. I got to lean in every stupid day. there's never my son and i look he's obsessed pathologically so and i need your listeners to hear me say this i tried my best to raise him on like metallica and good old punk music he is obsessed with 90s country man he can't get enough and it's it's bananas to me and i'm sorry i dude i know thank you for lamenting with me but he came out of the of his room like a few months ago and he's like dad have you ever heard of this guy named garth brooks and i was like he, no, no. Tell me all about Garth. Anyway, we went to the show this weekend. He was in town in yeah. Nashville in a hometown show. Dude, it was, it was, it was incredible as yeah. an old, like he was incredible, but here's the thing. I still had to get up the next day and be a dad again. There wasn't one cool event I could take my son to and say, okay, my parenting is done for the month. I still had to get up on the next day was Easter Sunday when we were recording this and we had to get ready for church. We had to be on time and I had to be graceful and say, Hey, make sure you pick this up and you got to comb your hair. Like, it was back to dadding again. Right. Mm -hmm. And same with my job and you get to decide this is the job I want to have in the season. And so it's just stopping these declarations and making a bunch of small decisions every single day for the rest of my life. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I love that perspective. I've, I've always said, you know, being good at anything and this has really come to life for me as a husband and a father, but it's not a game of grand gestures. It's really just showing up. I say it's showing up in the trenches, you know, with intention in the trenches, showing up day in and day out. Like you don't get a credit because you took your son to the Garth Brooks show. Like you, that oh, doesn't man. mean you, you know, hey, I'm just going to, you know, see you guys in two days. Like it just, it's just not the way that it works, you know? Right. Uh, so there, that, that's a, that's a deep, powerful lesson there. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, working, working at Ramsey. Is, are there any leadership lessons that you've learned from maybe from Dave or from anybody in the organization that you kind of carry with you, um, not just professionally, but once you get home, things that you kind of carry with you, um, in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of big ones The probably the, the, the biggest one is I, it, especially in my time at working at universities as Dean of students and a professor, my, I got a lot of self-esteem by how long I worked, the hours I worked, how late I was there, how early I got there. And one night here, I'd been here for about three or four months and it was probably six 30 or seven. And I was working on something. I didn't need to be doing it. I was just working on it. Mm -hmm. And Dave happened to walk by and he circled by back into our offices and he came up to me at my desk and he said, what are you doing here? And uh, I said, no, I'm working on this thing. And it was kind of cool. Like I'm the only one in the office. The boss sees me, you know, I'm going to be like, and here's the line he gave me. He said, you will not use the name Ramsey as an excuse to not be a present husband and a present father. You need to go home and be with your family. And then he followed up with this. If you're no good to them there, you will be no good to me here. Go home. And it was a, oh, I got to do my whole life differently. And so there is a reverse, if you will, here. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to go over the top to help you have a whole family so that when you get here, you are all in. So a couple of lessons beyond that I've learned uh, the way I've seen that played out is 
Um, even during onboarding, I asked just the IT folks when they came to, here's how you log into your computer and whatnot. I said, hey, how do I put, I need y'all to help me put my email on my phone, my cell phone. And they looked at me like, uh, and one guy said, yeah, we really don't like that here. Um, That's amazing. Be at work here. And, the, and then they looked at me and they're like, well, you're going to be traveling a lot. So we'll, we'll help you out. So they helped me out. But here's the thing. At seven o'clock or 7.30, this parking lot's relatively full. And at 4.30 and five, it's relatively empty. People come here and you can feel it. They are bonkers when they're at work because mm -hmm. they're fully at work. And then when yeah. they're off, they are off, off, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that culture. And it's been a it's been a blessing to me. And it's been a real challenge to me because I got my self-esteem in the wrong places. Um, another big thing is Dave is the reverse of many of the leaders I've worked with, which is um, most leaders project how wonderful they are and how kind and generous and compassionate they are. And behind closed doors, they're not so much. Dave's the reverse. He acts like in front of the camera. Behind closed doors, he's the first to weep in the room. He's unfathomably generous behind closed doors and in terms of what he, what he gives and how he supports people and takes care of people in ways that nobody will ever, 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 ever know. And that's been a great lesson. Like, oh, that's what it actually should look like. Right, mm -hmm. that people have an opinion of you. They've got a. They read the narratives. They read the ugly press about you. But that single mom, she knows, right? And that guy at, at work, uh, I mean, that guy at your local whatever at the post office who's struggling with his kid, he knows, right? He mm -hmm. knows what you're about. And that that is that's been a beautiful, beautiful transition for me. What an amazing precedent to set from a company. You know, I think that's a problem. You know, I felt this a little bit, and I, I, I'm lucky to work for a great company as well, but I've felt it myself. I've seen a lot of other people struggle with it too, but it's like now that we've entered this world of, you know, remote working is a lot more common as a result of quarantine and all that. It's kind of like, okay, that's great. You can work from home, but now you've got everything on every mobile device. You're kind of never away from it. It's like, you're always that's home, right. but you're also always at work. Work and is it's, with it, you everywhere. Yeah. Yes. It's married together. And I think that's a, um, it's a it, scary it's, thing. It's, it will, like, I'll put a pin in it. It cannot last. And um, just when you get down to pure physiology, we're bioregulated to be in connection with other people. We're supposed, mm -hmm. we cannot exist, even in group projects, distant from other folks for any extended period of time without mm -hmm. our bodies ringing every anxiety alarm and every depression alarm and every, every alarm that we have. And so it's fun. I like working from home. It's great. And it, there's, I, I'm just super bearish on the whole prospect because of that, just of our core biology. Yep. You've got to be in the yep. same room with other people. I totally agree. And I felt it. I mean, gosh, when I like, even now I kind of work like a flex schedule. So I'll be like three days in the office, two days at home. I try to work at home on the days where my kids are going to have a five fifteen baseball game. It's easy for me to hop across the street. Right. There so in go. that regard, it's fantastic. Love it. Yes. It's like that. I'm like, let's go, let's keep this. But if I, you know, maybe I stay at home for two or three days in a row. Like if I start on Monday, like today's Monday, if I, if I'm hanging around on Wednesday and I'm like, that's three days in a row at home, I'm starting to go like, Oh my gosh. Like I got to see some people and talk to some people. Cause my, you know, my wife might be at work. My kids might be at school. And I'm just like, bro, I can't sit in isolation. It don't work. That's right. It, 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 it hurts it's, you. It, it, it's a transition from a, we're all, we all have a common mission and a common goal and we're on the same team to a group of mm -hmm. hired mercenaries who are scattered across the country and they're not hired to be on a team. They're hired just to get a job. done, And that's mm -hmm. all cool. When things are good, when things are not good, um, 
my sense is the guy in Kansas who I've never met, that's the guy I'm going to cut first. I've hired and fired a bajillion people in my career. The people I don't know are the easiest one. Like, I don't even know that person. Like the one, it's when I know their kids and I know what they're struggling with and I've seen their successes and their growth. That's the person I'm trying to figure out a way to keep them because they're such mm-hmm. a valuable member of our team. Um, and so I don't know. It, it, I love the flex schedule. I think has, it does have some legs to it because it allows you to live your life and it calls you back into the mothership, which I think is important. But anyway, yeah. that may yeah. be another that may be another podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's a bigger message in that, too. I think just about being lonely, not necessarily from a you know professional lens, but also just from a personal lens. I have felt this again that I felt this myself and I'm trying to kind of break back out of it now, but it's, you get into like the, we got into that rhythm of like, we're just not seeing people in the way that we were and some relationships, unless you're really make going out of your way to keep them going, to reach out to people, to call people, to text people, whatever it is, some, some relationships can just kind of fade. And then, you know, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. It's, you know, I kind of hit a point not too long ago. I look around, I'm like, man, I haven't caught up with any of my boys in a minute. And I'm like, Oh, maybe this is why I'm feeling a lot more anxious. This maybe this is why I'm a lot more stressed and I'm like, you know, snapping at all these dumb things. I think that's a huge lesson. And now I'm trying to reach out to catch up with more people, but that process is hard. So can you talk to that guy? Like I say that guy, that's me. I'm the guy who's like <laughs> trying to reacclimate myself. Dude, and that's like, me too, man. I'm like, I'm how do we make too. friends? How do we ask a guy out? Like, come on, how do we, Dude, how there, do we do this? It's the, the worst. I wish there's the way around. It is <laughs> the worst. Dating now is awful, but at least there's like some agreed upon sort of rules. Yep. Like making friends, there are no rules. There's just weird and there's just <laughs> awkward and there's just suck. That's it. That's yep. all there is, man. Um, when we're kids, they just dump us all in a box and they say, y'all go play kickball or y'all go run around that circle and get popsicle sticks. And you just did it together. Or you said, oh, forget that. I'm not doing it. And the group in the back walked together. And so whether you were opting in or opting out or fighting the system, you just had an instant gang. And again, not everybody had, you know, great friends and all that, but we had people around us. And then we got mm-hmm. stuck at a lunch table and then we got stuck in band and ta-ta, ti-ti-ta playing the, like the xylophone. So we just did all that stuff together. And then we went to high school and then we really got our gangs, right? You listen to mm-hmm. hip hop, you metal kids, are you a jock or you play sports or whatever the thing is. And then dude, we get, um kicked out of college and then they tell us hey now it's you versus everyone go and or hey it's every and by the way they're trying to kill you too because Mm -hmm. any gain you get is food off their plate and that 48 year old guy who sees you coming his his only goal is to take you down and our little 21 year old brains are like okay uh, okay and we just go we're in it right Yep. And you hang on to old friendships and you hang on to stuff that has no gas left. And then your friends start having kids and you start having kids. And then the whole thing just goes sideways and you find yourself completely and totally alone. And um, so whenever I talk to folks, especially like, yeah, yeah, bro, like dudes. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Um, the research is super clear. When your body detects it is lonely, it starts a biochemical process that will kill you. It will kill you. Finding out that you are lonely is more damaging than smoking. It is a similar physiological response to getting punched in the face. It will kill you. And so that's the level of intentionality we have to have about having friends and having community and figuring out how to 
re-engage into sex and intimacy with our wives and to get back into these basic core to sleep these basic human functions that we are wired to do that we've just opted out of because we've got netflix and we got five little league games and a dance recital and we've got 80 hours of work you have to get done mm-hmm. we have to start reverse engineering this process and then do the, and then anxiety alarms turn off like <laughs> they've served their purpose because our lives are back to normal right to back to being whole yep I have um, the the roadblock I've had with it, and I'll I'll say this very open and transparently. Um, the the struggle I've had is okay. So my kids are five and three, two boys. They're very much in a stage now where they're like they're waiting for dad to come home from work. Like they're excited for dad to come home from work. They want to see me, and then I get usually get you know thirty minutes to an hour and a half, just depending on what the work they looked like, to spend some time with them, take them to baseball, whatever it may be. So if I'm going to go grab drinks with a buddy or, you know, hit the shooting range or go to the gym or whatever it is, that's going to kind of eat that window. Yes. So then I Dude, feel, so, I feel listen, shame in that. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up. Ah, so somehow, and I, I honestly haven't sat down with an anthropologist and tried to work it back. This is super recent phenomenon is our job is to be an entertainment for our kids that, that our lives should revolve around our kids having every need met at every moment that they want it met. I am not a toy for my child, my children. I got two incredible kids. In fact, I would say if you would take one day a week and go hang out with your buddies and catch up and say, how's your marriage? What's going on? How's work? Or even if it's Friday or Saturday night, you're just getting together to watch the fights from nine o'clock till midnight and you're going to not, you're going you're gonna to cash out on your workout on Sunday um, because you're spending time with people. If you will make that investment in yourself and in your community and in your friends, it will pay infinite dividends with your children. Watching kids, watching their dad have friends is a really important lesson for kids that most of us didn't get because most of our dads came home and sat on, our ch- on the recliners and propped their feet up and turned the TV on. Um, and that's what most of us see. We don't see parents that had friends. We don't even know what that looks like. And I think that's a big reason why we're struggling to make friends. And then the other, we outsourced them all in digital world. But yeah, our kids are always going to have seasons uh, when they're disappointed. Mm-hmm. Now my kids can't wait to see me when I get home. And then they're like, did you bring us something? I'm like, no, I just me. It's just me. And my daughter's like, boo. <laughs> right. And she's, of course she's playing, but if I brought him candy every day, then it'd be like, well, did you bring a pony? It's always going to keep moving. And that's not, if I try to chase that, mm-hmm. that's how kids end up with 17 Xboxes in a new Corvette. And like, you know what I mean? Without having mm-hmm. to work for anything is, is parents trying to validate themselves through making their kids quote unquote happy with yep. shiny, sparkly things. Let your kids miss you. That's fine. They're going to be okay. Now this isn't an excuse to go out every night. That's, that's absenteeism and that's neglect and that's awful. Yeah. But going out once a week and letting your kids know, no, daddy's going to spend time with his friends tonight. Let's them know, A, the whole universe doesn't revolve around me, which is a gift to a kid. Mm-hmm. My dad doesn't, um, my dad's well-being doesn't revolve around me because I'm not strong enough to hold that. And what? My dad's got friends too. That's incredible. And I'm going to learn how to do that, right? Those are all gifts you give to your kids. So I would tell you, you don't have time not to. At some point, this crashes and burns if you don't take a night a week to, to, to go out and hang out. And that also means your wife's going to hang out. What that also means that y'all are going to have two nights a week 
when one of you is taking on the other's uh, other's gig, but one of you is picking up the slack, which mm-hmm. means you got five other nights a week to rock it till the wheels fall off, to do things together, to have fun and be connected. Um, and it's just getting into a rhythm and a flow in your life. Yeah, that's sorry, uh, that's a soapbox. I can talk on that all day. That's a soapbox. Oh, no, that was hey, that's what I needed. I needed a little slap in the face on that. I'll take it. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's funny. I was the guy who I think I was the up uh, the opposite for a long time. I uh, and I've told a little bit of the story on the podcast before, so some listeners may have heard this. But you know, I was the workaholic for a long time. You know, I was the guy who was like, "Hey, I'm just gonna go crush it while my kids were young," but then my kids started getting, you know, not, they're still obviously young, but they started feeling not so young. And I started missing little stages, like, you know, seeing them on Friday night through Sunday, but then not really seeing them during the week into work before they're up home after they're asleep. And it wasn't until COVID happened. And, you know, I say, this is the silver lining of the whole thing for me was I was forced to sit home and say, like, look at everything I was missing in the day. I was like, there's a lot going on here. It's like, this is good. So now I've kind of overcorrected, I think, in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I swung the pendulum, and I'm trying to land somewhere in the middle. Like you said, I don't have time not to do it. It's an investment that has to be made. But I like the framework of thinking about it as an investment, like even just to get it started. Here's the way we've done it in our house that keeps us all sane, is we're really intentional, my wife and I, about talking about seasons with our kids. And so for the last – in late February – we mm-hmm. sat down with my son, who's he was 11 at the time. So he he's in middle school. He gets it. He's in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. My daughter was was five at the time or six. She kind of gets it, kind of doesn't. But I laid it out. The next 90 days, the next three months are going to be bonkers around here because I'm going to be flying all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I already do that anyway, but it's going to be more. And I'm going to be trying to sell this book, push a mm-hmm. brand new book out. I've never done this before. I'm really nervous about it. Um, it's, I feel exposed because I told stories in this book. I never told, so I laid all that out for my son. And so, and I said, when I'm home, I'm going to be fully here. And so you and I are going to do fun things. We're going to do them on the weekend. I'm going to make sure I'm here for your birthday. If you got a part in the play, I'm going to be here for that. We adjusted our travel schedule. So I'm home for that. So I made some, some, some non-negotiables, but I also let my kids know I got a big thing on the horizon here and I'm going to be a good steward of Dave Ramsey's money because he invested a lot in me and in this book. I'm mm-hmm. going to do my part in selling this thing. And this is what this looks like. And then mm-hmm. on the back end in June, dude, we are going to go on vacation. We're going to go fishing together. We're going to do some of these things. And so I'm teaching him. There is seasons when you got to suck it up and grind it out. That's just mm-hmm. life, man. You got to yep. get in there in the ring and hit the dude in the mouth as hard as you can. And then there's also seasons of rest, but all of those are held together through intentionality. I'm not going to, uh, the way I say it, I'm, I'm not going to ever fall off the wagon. There is going to be seasons I park the wagon and crawl off and roll around in the mud, but I'm never going to fall off. Right. I'm going to be intentional about making decisions. Yeah, that's, that's strong. I think the upfront communication obviously is super important. And then the intentionality of not wasting that time that you do have, like I've like, again, another bad habit that's crept up from the whole quarantine and just, you get bored and bad habits come around, but screen time, like not for my kids, but for me, like, I'm like, you know, looking at my kids through the damn camera on my phone and I'm missing <laughs> the fact that they're sitting three feet in front of me and they're yes. looking at me back through the phone and I'm having to smack myself like, come on. Yes. yes and then yes, I'm yes. wanting more time with my kids, but I'm not stewarding that time that I've already got well enough. Can, can we call that out? You just said nobody ever talks about this and it's frustrating. Being a parent is really boring. 
it's super super boring it's so <laughs> like dude so boring and we've grown up you and i've grown up in this culture chasing this myth of happiness which is really just like cocaine and cotton candy man it's just like fireworks everywhere mm -hmm. and it's not real and we just keep moving from sensation to sensation and we've lost the ability just to sit and listen to, I, I don't know what you're talking about, trying to explain me dragons on a truck in the middle of a <laughs> Lego kingdom. Um, let's back up. And I had a tea party with my daughter the other day. I don't know how it devolved into what it devolved into. She's punishing these dolls. I don't know what was happening. So boring. But here's what I know. When I would look her in the eye in this tiny little chair I was sitting in, and I would say, yes, I would like this plastic pizza, and but I need extra jelly beans. Like When I played along, she felt heard and she felt seen, and her body told her she's got value, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know it's boring. I know it is. And God almighty, it's the good stuff. And it's boring too. Both It's boring intellectually, but I got up whole. I got up feeling like that was right. You know what I mean? Yep. And I yep. don't get that feeling when I play a video game or when I watch a movie. I may feel like, ooh, that was awesome, but it doesn't feel right. Yes. What you just said, that is the illustration of the point I made before when I said it's it's really just intention in the trenches. Like when yeah, you dude. are bored and you're just like, all right, we're going to do another tea party. All right. Let's do another. Let, let's go. Yeah. Give me some jelly beans with my pizza. Like, let's let's yes. rock and roll. That's it. No, son. Tell me about Garth Brooks. Who is that? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Continue telling me. It's like, yeah, let's let's get in there and do it. Let's do it. And um, I've had to learn to make peace with being bored. And then all of a sudden, I found a whole new part of myself that I didn't know existed. I want to circle back on one point that you made um, earlier in the conversation. And then I want to talk about the book. I want to hear you tell us a little bit about it because I'm selfishly, I'm pumped to read it. I'm looking forward to it. So you made a point before. You said that you were looking for self-esteem in all the wrong places when you were talking about the hours that you were working before Dave kind of smacked you into your place and said, you're not going to blame me for anything that happens. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, because I think that's a problem that I, I know that I've experienced it and I've seen it around. I think it, I, the best I've been able to boil it down is that it comes down to you know where we're looking for that validation. And sometimes being able to go to work, being able to just knock out another project, check, you know, just take another thing off the list. There's a tangibility to that. And sometimes it keeps us from, you know, I guess just leaning into something that might be harder, but more meaningful at home. So is, is that something that you see a lot, like in your work, talking yeah, to man, guys? I, I, I struggle with that. I mean, I talk about parenting and marriage for a living, and I struggle with it every day. What I have found is, here's what I don't like about the way you just described it is the way I was raised with it. And the reason I don't like that description is it moralizes it or it turns into mm -hmm. a character issue. Mm -hmm. And I want to reframe it a little bit. I don't know how to be a husband. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do next mm -hmm. like when my wife cried the first time i didn't know what to say what to do all i had i had one model and it's what my dad did mm -hmm. i didn't know what to do i had no idea when my kid was born he craps 10 times a day <laughs> i thought a diaper would last for a couple of days i didn't know you changed 10 di i didn't have any idea mm-hmm but when a student told me they were going to kill themselves, I knew exactly what to do. I knew what to ask. I knew the numbers to call. I knew how to tell their parents. I knew how to get them enrolled in a psychiatric unit. I knew what to do next. And so just naturally, 
when you continue to feel like you're failing at something or when you continue to feel like I don't know what's going on here, but I'm, mm-hmm. I know how to do this. I know how to file a brief in a courtroom. I know how to lay a brick. I know how to fix a, a transmission. We are, this isn't a character issue. We're just naturally going to lean into the things that we're good at. And that's normal. What's not okay, what becomes the character issue is when we realize, oh, dude, I've hit that thing. I've moved the needle so far over that I've stopped trying to figure out and try to learn and be curious about how do I pick up these skills and become a better husband? Mm -hmm. How do I learn more about my son? And I found myself Googling deer hunting way more than Googling how to put on a diaper. And then my excuse for deer hunting was never, I don't know how to do it. No, I figured that out. But I did say, I don't know how to change a diaper. I didn't know how to do it, right? That is mm-hmm. bull crap. That's me choosing to not be invested in, into that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so what I want folks to do is, A, give yourself some grace. If you find yourself a workaholic, most of the time it's because you're good there and you're not skilled in other places. And then the character issue comes in, the hard work and the grit and the figuring it out comes in. And the meeting with professionals sometimes because you've got a really bad model of what to do because your dad didn't show up or your dad yelled or he, your dad hit people or your mom made you responsible for her, her emotional well-being, right? Mm-hmm. You felt like you were responsible to keep the house duct taped together when you were nine or 11 or 14. So you had terrible models and you got to go learn a new model. You got to go see a counselor, psychologist, learn a new model. That's incredible, but you got to lean in and say, okay, I want to learn these skills. And I'm going to say the wrong thing when my wife's crying the first time and the second time and the fifth time. But on the sixth time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to just keep my mouth shut and show up and hug. And that's it. I'm going to be able to lean in and help. Um, after she goes to bed, I'm going to sneak out of bed and make sure the house is picked up and make sure that tomorrow her car is filled with gas. So there used to be a little thing that my son and I used to do where um, on Sunday nights, we would just get in the car and go fill up my wife's car with gas just for the week. And he would always be like, Dad, I got it, I got it. And I'd say, no, 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 no. This is how we're going to honor your mom. And just trying to give him a little bitty thing. And dude, mm-hmm. it was so annoying to get in the car on Sunday nights. I was busy. I was like, why didn't, why didn't she just fill this up on Fridays or whatever? Yeah. But it became a way that, hey, this is one way we can take a knee on behalf of the most important woman in, our, in both of our lives right now. And so it's, it's learning those skills that are going to make you more um, efficacious at home, give you more talent and skill at home so that you're not competing with your workplace. Does that make sense? That's kind that, of rambly, but no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I mean, it, just in my own head, I'm thinking back, like when I was in that place of really just kind of feeling like a workaholic, it came from a place of good intention. You know yeah, what I mean? Like I, I didn't feel like I was doing something intentionally wrong. So I think it, I, I like the, the way that you articulated that is kind of taking the character issue out of it to begin with, just because it, it just logically makes sense that you're going to gravitate towards something that you're confident doing. Right. Absolutely. And that, yeah. And, and that you get instant reward and feedback. Hey, we really yeah. liked this. Here's a bonus. Hey, we really like this. We got a new client. That's a, that's just a ding ding. Like I'm successful. Whereas changing a diaper for the 800th time, you're just rewarded with more <laughs> Another one. 30 minutes later. That's right. And there's no, there is no like, Hey, in 24 years, your son's really going to have bonded with you and have some great, like, that's not helpful, right? <laughs> uh, I like the instant feedback at work. So it's like kind of like a slot machine, right? At some mm-hmm. point, I got to sit back and, and play a different game. Yep. All right. So tell us about the book. Own your past, own your future. Why did you write this book? What, what was it? I know it's a huge undertaking to write a book. Yeah. So, so why this book? Um, a couple of reasons. Um, 
it's it's called uh, own your past, change your future. Oh, sorry. The, the, the uh, no, it's okay. Trust me. I didn't even. Yeah, you're good. Um, the couple of things. One is I've worked in colleges and universities for the last 18, 20 years, right? For a long time. And some of the most brilliant, thoughtful scientists, incredible people trying to solve big problems and figure out ways to help people. And I've got a ringside seat to people like higher edge. No, I'll tell you, cause I've been there. They're incredible. And they're good folks trying to figure out how to help. And there's some extraordinary theories and some great academic conferences where we went and debated hard issues of like how to, what's the best counseling technique and what's the best future of education technique. All those things are great. And then when I joined Dave's team, I realized really quick, I've been talking past people for 20 years. There's a single mom with two kids right now who wants her life to be a little bit better. What can she do right now? There's a dad who's an over-the-road trucker who's got two little kids, and he just wants to be a little bit better father, and he's not home very much. And he, his dad yelled at him, and he just gets angry. Like, he doesn't know what to do right now. And so the first reason I sat down and wrote this book is, man, we have way overcomplicated mental health. We've way overcomplicated relationships. We've made this stuff a thing for experts and that people with fancy degrees can only talk about. And if you're struggling, you've got to go. Most everybody has to go. And I just, I'm calling, that's not true. I know both sides is not true. So here is a common sense, a simple way to understand this stuff. And I really wrote it for me because even I was starting to get twisted around after a decade of science and literature and my own research. I just, it, it was like, what are we doing? So that's number one. Number two is I've been there and there's a million relationship books, a million marriage books and mental health books that are really, really good, but they're giving me information. They're talking at me. And what I haven't read is a book that was me walking. I felt like the author was walking with me in this deal. And I wanted folks to know that, yes, I got two PhDs. Yes, I've been doing this a long time. And every single day, my daughter says something, and I'm like, I didn't take that grad class. I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what. To, or my wife says something, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to respond to this. And so I'm just going to turn around um, three or four times in the living room and then walk out the front door. I don't know what to say. Right. So this is me doing this with you. And um, I hadn't read that book, and I, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm tired of people talking at me all the time. I feel like every news source, every, everybody's just talking at me, talking at me, talking at me. And um, I really wanted a space for people to reclaim their lives in a, hey, I'm in it with you, not a talking at you. And then the third one is, um, dude, we've just been given these two narratives on how to do life. The first one is, you are the, the worst thing that ever happened to you. That's all you'll ever be. You're always going to be a victim of the abuse. You'll always be of someone who suffered from racist idiots in the systems are built against you. like you will always be the worst thing that ever happened to you and when we when we acknowledge that in people we take their power away their strength away to then make their lives different or better when you tell somebody that you're the worst thing that ever happened to you you'll always be a survivor of then you need some external entity to come save you to come stick their hand out and reach out and pull you up because you're never going to be enough the other thing we've been given is the response to that, which is, if you have any feelings at all, it's because you're weak, you're a coward, and you need to suck it up and grind it out and kill it and drag it. Yeah. And that's nonsense too. That's a rest. Look around. That's what's got us this, right? This chaos that we've got. And I'm calling bull crap on both sides of this thing. And moving forward, it, this book is a new third way, which is 
you have to own what happened to you. If you don't, your body will be trying to solve that chemically for the rest of your life. And the most important question you can ask yourself after trauma, after ugliness, after pain is, what do I do next? And so this book is really a, a, a path out of what does healing actually look like in the modern world. So that's, that's the three reasons why we did it, man. Heck yeah. That's awesome. I'm even more excited to read it now. I can't <laughs> wait. So by the time this airs, the book will be out. We're talking on Monday. This is going to be coming out tomorrow. Um, awesome. I, I know that's so exciting, man, to see that come to fruition um, and hit the shelf. So as we look towards wrapping up, I've got two questions for you, kind of fastball questions, bigger questions, but I'm just going to hit you with them. Let's do so it. Let's right, do off it. The, right off the bat, pitch number one, what are you the most proud of in your life? Oh, no question. Um, being married for 20 years and uh, my two little ones. Uh, two little ones were easy um, compared to staying married. That's hard. Just hard work. And um, there's a great quote by uh, Esther Perel that I love, and I'll probably butcher it, but most adults will have three to four great loves in their lifetime. And if they work really, really hard, it will be with the same person. And I absolutely love that image. Um, I'm not who my wife married three or four times. I'm not that same guy. Thank God. And she is not who the person, um, she's not the same woman I married. And what does staying together look like choosing to stay together, even when it is thin as a spider's web, this thing's almost over and nope, we're going to loop back in and we're going to double down on this thing. What is it like to do life with somebody like that? And it's been a, an adventure. So that's the thing I'm easily the most proud of. That's awesome. I love that answer. So last question is around the word legacy. And when I think about the word legacy, I think about the people that mean the most to me and the people that, you know, God willing, I will be leaving behind on earth. A lot of different meanings get attached to the word legacy. You hear a lot of, a lot of times it's financial. A lot of times it's impact. It's all these different things. To me, just in the framework of the show and in the people that fall into those buckets that I just mentioned, I think about my kids, God willing, I'm able to leave them behind on earth. I think about the little moments, the memories, the lessons, the values, the little things that they're going to remember, hopefully about me, that they can kind of just live the rest of their life with as like, hey, I remember when dad did that. So I'm going to live this way because of that. So if I frame that, um, frame the question that way and turn it around to you and say, what do you want your legacy to be with your, with your kiddos? What would you say to that? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Uh, probably just riding off the top of my head. Um, the most important thing is your life is meant to give away. Your life is to be lived in service, whether in the short term or the long term. And so keep your eyes open for people who are in need, whether that's the CEO sitting next to you in a meeting whether that's a homeless guy on the side of the street and everybody in between, or that's a classmate that's getting treated differently because of the color of his skin. You go, it's kind of like my dad taught, like you go where people are hurting, lean into that and um, tip well, right? So like it, your life is, is meant to be given away. The second is a legacy of um, faith. I don't, I don't want my kids believing the same things I believed. Um, I don't believe the same things my parents believed. But there is an important importance to understanding, to being anchored into this whole thing doesn't revolve around you. There is something way, way bigger at play here, and you are but a piece of it. And at the same time, you have intrinsic value. You are loved, and there, that love pulses through your bloodstream, right? And so never feel like you're a burden. Never feel like you're alone, that you are unloved, because that's not true. Um, and that's the legacy of faith. And I'm a Christian guy. So that's, that's the perspective I take, but I want my kids to always have 
that sense that they are loved and that there is something way bigger than them um, at play. And then probably the third thing is just be kind. Um, my son's had an opportunity to see me in some really mess. I, I, man, just weird stuff finds me. I just find myself in the stupidest situations. And being able to back up from a situation that hot-headed me 10 or 15 years ago would have acted very differently. And he gets to see what kindness looks like, how I treat his, how I treat his mom, how I treat his sister, how I treat a waiter or a waitress or the person changing our, our tires. Um, life is simply done better when I'm kind. And um, so those three things would be what I want legacy to be. So good. Dr. John Deloney, thank you so much for making some time for us today. Man, this has been a fantastic conversation. Like I said, such an honor to have you on. I'm so proud to have you on. Um, tell us uh, where we can find you, where we can find the book. Where do you want to send people? Uh, first, let me tell you, man, thank you for your hospitality. Um, I, I honestly, I don't have anywhere else to be. Like, um, I'm grateful that um, you had me on. This is a gift. And uh, I'm grateful for your time. And that's the most precious resource we got, right? Um, if you want to check out the book, you can go to johndeloney.com or ramseysolutions.com. You can follow me at John Deloney. You can, you can pretty much get it anywhere. Now you can get it on Amazon. You can get it everywhere. So you can find it everywhere. But I'm Boom. really grateful for you. I appreciate it, brother. Well, we'll link everything up in the show notes. Thanks again so much for your time, man. And you're in Chattanooga. Dude, come down and see me sometime in Nashville. We'll give you a tour of the place and we'll let you meet everybody. It'll be awesome. Absolutely. Be come hang out. Absolutely. Cool. We'll do it. All right. I'll see you in person soon. Let's hang out. All right, brother. Thanks again. Thank you. You bet. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.